Is everybody in? Is everybody in? The show is about to begin. Hey concert lovers, welcome to another episode of Concerts That Made Us. I'm Brian and I've got another fantastic episode for you guys this week. My guest is Bet Martinez, the CEO and founder of Danger Village. Danger Village is an artist development and PR company. They specialise in crafting PR campaigns catered to an artist's specific needs. And they have the ability to take an artist from an unknown to a household name. Over the years, Bet has worked with an array of amazing artists, and this episode really gives a good insight into what it's like to work behind the scenes in the music industry. I really had great fun chatting with Bet, and I know you're going to enjoy this episode as much as I did. So now, without further ado, let's get on with the show. Hi Bet, you're very welcome to the show today. Thank you for having me. No problem. Glad to have you. So uh, I mentioned in the intro, you're the CEO and founder of Danger Village. What is Danger Village for those that don't know? So Danger Village is an artist development company with a focus on PR and publicity. So what we do is we take artists from usually from the ground up as they're just getting started. And we develop them through a press campaign and through other means to help build their profile. And, um, you know, to varying degrees of uh, success, you know, some artists end up blowing up big, some artists just get a little bigger. Um, It all just kind of depends on timing and, and the music and what's going on in their careers at the point at that point. But yeah. Yeah, uh, it must be very exciting to when you find someone in the early stages of the career and get to watch them go through all the stages and really blow up. 100%. It's my favorite, favorite thing. I um, I'm just the kind of person who loves music discovery. So once an artist gets big, I kind of lose interest. Like even my favorite artists, um, I don't follow their careers 100%. I like you know, Wilco is probably my favorite band and I don't think I've listened to the, their last three records, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get you. It's kind of like when to get to a certain stage, you're like, right, my work here is done. Yes. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Exactly. How did you actually come up with the name Danger, Danger Village? It's a it's a very interesting one. Yeah, uh, there I lived in Chicago at the time that I started my company in 2007 and there was a bar I loved called Happy Village. And I actually wanted to name my company Happy Village. And a friend of mine shot that down. She's like, you can't name, you know, you can't name your company after a bar. And now like I probably could have because I don't even, I doubt that bar even exists anymore. And my company does, you know? Yeah, yeah, I gotcha. So we were just kind of riffing on, on, on words with village in it and Danger Village 
I think she's the one who said it. And I just, it had that ring to it that I immediately was like, that's it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's a, you're right. It's one of them ones when you hear it, it stands out and it sticks in your memory. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Was it always on the cards for you to work in the music industry? Yes. I had a very specific moment when I was 19 years old at my university, there was a concert promotion committee and it was Tiffany's comeback tour and I did merch. And the, the tour manager just was like, oh, you should come do merch on tour with us. And I just, I had that moment where I was like, this is what I want to do with my life. I, yeah. I didn't end up going on tour, but I, uh, I just, it was just like, uh, uh, from that moment forward, that was what I was going to do. And I, I have never, there's never really been another option. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I get you. It felt like you were made to do it. Mm-hmm. And I took a lot of different um, paths to get to where I am now. Back then I interned at you know, record labels and I worked at a record label before I started my company. And I interned at radio stations and worked at booking agencies in college and just kind of got a feel for all the different parts. And, and almost by process of elimination, you know, I knew I didn't want to be a booking agent. I knew I didn't want to work in radio. Um, the label, the reason I left the label is just there's just too many, um, too many bands. They were giving me too much. And working at a small indie label, you, you wear a lot of hats. And it, I, I really wanted to focus in on, on what I was doing. That's why I started my company. Yeah. Was it hard to get it set up then when from leaving the label and saying, right, I want my own business. I want my own company. Was it hard to take that leap and get it started? Yeah. I mean, it took like 10 years. (laughs) 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 Um, You know, the beginning was like actually setting up a company isn't super hard to set up, you know, get the name. And um, I had zero overhead. I just had my laptop. I didn't have employees. I didn't rent any space. And um, I had clients immediately because of my connections already. And I was working part-time at a coffee shop for about six months until that coffee shop closed down. But um, running a small business in general is pretty much always hard. Like it's been 14 years and it's still, you know, there's just, um, there's always cash flow. You know, sometimes a lot of money comes in and then sometimes no money comes in and you just kind of got to be prepared for that. Yeah. Um, You have to adapt and work with what you have. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then working with bands is always hit or miss as well. You know, it's, there's a lot of things. I, I actually, most things are out of my control about what um, I can do to help an artist. You yeah. know, I, I can get the music into the hands of people, but I can't make them like it. Hmm. And, um, you know, and then I have worked with many bands that if they had come a year or two later, they would have blown up, but they were just too ahead of their time, you know? Um, I worked with this big, this girl called Cat Call and she's Australian. She's amazing. One of my favorite records I've ever worked. And um, I remember publications telling me it was just too well produced. This was probably 2012. So it was right before like the Charlie XCX era, um, right before like the Tovalo era where like, you know, well produced female pop vocals uh, with like an electro dark electro edge it was right before that era so if cat call had come like a year or two later it would have been perfect but she was just ahead of her time back then people didn't like well-produced music they thought it was well-produced music was major label sounding but now everything is like way in my opinion way overproduced <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a, a bit too polished sounding mm-hmm. 
What was the uh, the point in your career, the, a pivotal turning point in your career when you really thought, I'm starting to make it, this is, uh, this is starting to take off? There's been different ones. I think a really, really big turning point for me was working with Mo, Mo. Yeah. Um, and she really took off right away. And it was just me and her manager. When I started working with her, um, uh, she had 900 Facebook fans. Right, <laughs> right. I put out her, her first single on my SoundCloud. And, uh, you know, it, it, we, I was really able to take her pretty far in her career. And that opened a lot of doors. And that was probably the first time that Danger Village was really recognized as kind of a force to be able to, to, to do that because she kind of came out of nowhere for everyone and then just, just blew up. But there's been moments, um, I did that with Holy Child. I did that with Cautious Clay. I did that with Bishop Briggs. And, you know, there's just each one, each time that happens, um, it's more validation that, you know, I'm on the right path because doing it once, you know, could be, anyone could do that, but like, not anyone could do that, but that, that, that could just be a one-off, but doing it repeatedly over and over again in a 10 year time span, um, you know, that shows that there's something to the company. Yeah, that it's, uh, you need to take it seriously. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So uh, what is the process for finding new acts and taking them from where they are then to uh, a major success? So back when I worked with Mo, um, the my employee at the time actually found her on a blog called Yours Truly. Her song Maiden was on that, that blog and, and we reached out to her. But these days, I don't actually ever reach out to any bands. I just... I have enough people sending me music. So the first step is, you know, we just listen to everything that people send us and they want to hire us. And then we choose from those, which ones I like and that Sarah who works here that we both like and, um, and that we think we'll be able to get press for. We'll have, we'll have some discussion about, you know, does this sound too much like another artist or is this too like, you know, there's, we're very aware of um, the oversaturation of certain genres. Um, you know, as soon as something gets popular, then everyone wants to sound like that. So right now we're probably going to reject any like indie R&B that comes in. Yeah. It's a really oversaturated market. And then for a while now, we've been rejecting that kind of girl electro pop, you know, uh, with a dark tint, like mm. things like Big Briggs, really. Like we've been uh, uh, rejecting that kind of music because that just that space is just so um oversaturated if you're making music like that now it's it's kind of too late um unless you're like Adele or something yeah. and, and just an undeniable talent but yeah. you know most people aren't so we're always kind of looking for something cutting edge um that is going to push how music sounds forward and you know I can hear a lot of in, in current pop music, I can hear a lot of influences in artists that I pushed before that kind of music was popular. For example, you know, with Lean On, with Mo and, and Major Lazer, like that was a pretty, and, and DJ Snake, that was a pretty innovative sound at the time. And yeah. now everything sounds like a DJ Snake song. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's very true. That's very true. <laughs> it, uh, yeah. it must be very frustrating, though, when you... Uh, you know, when everyone else is starting to sound like another artist. Yeah, it's it's frustrating because um, uh, when you have a when you have vision 
and you try to tell other people about it and they just don't share the vision and they just can't see it that it, it gets it gets hard um you know i've gone to bat for my artists there was one artist years ago i worked with his name was nikki to and he did uh, New Orleans bounce and I just was like this is the music of the future this is what we're going to be doing and and people weren't getting it and weren't seeing it and I kind of hurt some relationships because I went really really hard because I believed in it so much and um and I wasn't wrong he did that song Exp express yourself with Diplo that Diplo took part of bounce the twerking and put it on his uh, all the major laser shows and then twerking <laughs> became like a really big thing yeah. and uh, which is just one move from bounce um from bounce music but the uh the sound of bounce is really ubiquitous now and it mm. wasn't 10 years ago when i was working with nikki um so yeah that it, it gets a little frustrating to also be like man i knew this i knew this was a thing and you know, it's no one ever, you can never like prove that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's one of them things. Is there, um, is there a, a genre that you prefer to focus on or do you like to spread yourself across all music genres? We really uh, do all music genres. I have personal things that like probably bluegrass and Americana is my personal favorite kind of music um, to listen to, but uh, really we do all sorts of different genres. It just, um, I think good songwriting is good songwriting no matter what the production behind it is. If you have a good song, it's, it, it shouldn't be able to do well. That's always gonna connect with people. Yeah, yeah. Um, if there was uh, any younger listeners looking to get into behind the scenes in the music industry, what advice would you give to them? Um, I, you know, like I would, so the advice I have for people looking to get into the music industry is just try out different aspects of it. Um, you know, I did a bunch of different interns to see, internships to see what I liked. Um, I thought that was a good way to go. Um, also, you know, I actually just talked to someone in London last week and she wants to get into management. I told her, go work at a management company, go intern at a management company, because really just getting your foot in the door at one company is going to really open a lot of other doors for you. When you're on the outside, it it can seem very daunting, but just taking the first step to get on the inside is is super, super helpful, and, and your connection should snowball from there. But really also listen to as much music as you can in different genres um, and study labels, um, you know, like know who sub pop puts out now and has put out in the past and like know who Merge Records has put out in the past and, you know, read, uh, I have a bunch of, you know, biographies or, um, you know, nonfiction books about music scenes, um, watch documentaries about music and just, just know a lot about it because it's going to help you. Um, the more you know about music in general, it's going to help you with whatever job you have. Um, yeah. Especially like, like, I mean, recently I would watch, I watched the Billie Eilish documentary and I watched the Taylor Swift documentary and it just really gives you a behind the scenes look at what's going on. Mm. And, um, back in the day, there was a movie called Hype that was awesome. And it was about the, um, the Seattle grunge, Seattle grunge scene that was really cool to see like how that blew up and a movie called Dig, uh, which is about the Dandy Warhols and the, um, the Brian Jonestown massacre and and their rivalry and and their different paths one getting signed to an, a large indie and one getting signed to a major and 
and that I thought I always thought that was a really cool snapshot of the music industry at that time in the late yeah. 90s. <clears throat> yeah, there uh, there are some great recommendations. It's interesting though to um the it seems like um in Ireland anyway, it's it seems like a very far away thing if you want to try get into the music industry. It's like you'd have to go to London or America where things are really happening. Ireland doesn't seem to have a great um great music industry ourselves any bands we have or any singers we have usually have to take the leap over to London or even America you know Mm -hmm. yeah I don't think I work with any I don't even know if I work with Irish people but I definitely don't work with anyone in Ireland like I don't talk to anyone in Dublin yeah yeah it's um I'd even I wouldn't even know where any of the any labels or underground labels or anything to do with music would be based in Dublin. I wouldn't know how to find them or anything. But obviously, if you're in London, you'd know exactly where to go, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny because some of the biggest bands in the world are from Ireland. Like, U2 is Irish, right? Yeah. Am I yeah. Crazy? Okay, yeah. U2 is Irish. <laughs> 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 like, that's one of the biggest bands, like, of all time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, uh, Back in the 70s and 80s, there was Tin Lizzy just before U2. And a lot of uh, very famous acts or some of the best acts that have ever been around have a lot of strong connections to Ireland. Well, I, I was just reading that Dolores O'Riordan was um, at one point like the richest woman in the world. Yeah, yeah, she was. She was. And uh, she's from, from Limerick. The, mm. the whole band are from Limerick. But yeah, they were huge over here in the early 90s and they were massive and obviously all over the world. And, yeah, all over too. And to this day, I hear dreams. I, I hear a lot of them all the time, but dreams I hear a lot lately. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's usually either zombie dreams or linger or the mm-hmm. three most played, but they're all great songs. The uh, Have you ever heard of uh, Bad Wolves? I don't, I'm not sure. They're a, a kind of a hard rock metal band. They've done a cover of Zombie and it's uh, it's one of the few times I've heard a cover of a song and I've thought that's just as good as the original. I'll have to check that one out. Bad Wolves, you said? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm writing that down. Yeah, they're a band I would have liked to see. Yeah, definitely. Definitely, I never had the, uh, the chance myself. You know, I'm sure... Because I was in high school in the 90s. I was in high school when they were big. Like, I had their CD. I loved it. It was one of my favorite CDs. Um, and I'm sure, I feel like they would have played, there used to be these Christmas festivals um, in Chicago where I lived. Um, it was called, like, Twisted Christmas. And it was the alternative radio stations, you know, two or three day uh, festival lineup, but at the United Center, which is the, where the where the Bulls play. And mm. uh or at Rosemont, like they would have them in these big stadiums. And I feel like the Cranberries played one year, but not the year I went. Oh. <laughs> but I definitely saw like Nine Inch Nails and a bunch of other bands like during that era. Yeah, yeah. They, uh, that's another band that I actually love to see, Nine Inch Nails. I'd say they're unreal in concert. Yeah, our, actually our new client is their drummer. Oh, really? Yeah, um, so maybe I'll get to go actually. Uh, he's, his name's Ilan Rubin and he has a solo project that's very, very good, very rock. And um, I don't know how long he's been playing with them, maybe like three or four years, but he got inducted into the 
Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as part of the band. Oh, so he, <laughs> I think he's like the youngest person to ever be inducted. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even sure if he's 30. So like, oh. <laughs> yeah. he's a phenomenal drummer. He's been playing since he was very, very small. Yeah, yeah. I'll, uh, I'll have to keep an eye out for him then. He's uh, your new client, you said. Yeah, yeah. We're going to start putting out his music in May, I think. Oh, so he's obviously going to be doing vocals and everything himself as he is not just going to be drumming. Uh, correct. Yeah. Yeah. He plays for this project. He plays, he sings and plays guitar. Oh, cool. Cool. That'll be definitely one to watch that. that be right up my alley now. Yeah. But um, what, uh, what do you actually think of the music industry or the mu- of music as a whole nowadays, the way it's so easy for people to, you know, record a song in their bedroom and release it from their bedroom instead of, you know, years ago, you had to be discovered in a bar and stuff like that, you know? Yeah, you know, I when, when recording became accessible to more people, I remember being very excited about that. Um, I remember like when Real Estate came out, I was super, super excited about them. They're like this bedroom pop band and I, I believe they made the music on their own before they put it on the label. And the same with like Passion Pit, where he just recorded like in his dorm room. It was very exciting. And I was like, wow, anyone could just record and put out music. But now it's kind of like, oh, no, anyone could record and put out music. <laughs> yeah, it's not always a good thing. <laughs> no, it's definitely not always a good thing. So, um, yeah, it's, it's I, I hear a lot of music that should never have been made. <laughs> like, just because you can doesn't mean you should. I'm very like, I get very Simon Cowell when we're going through our submissions where I'm like, it's not, this is not your thing. This is not for you. This is yeah. not your thing. <laughs> um, you know, I sometimes we come across clients who no one's ever told them that they weren't good. Potential uh, clients. We only yeah. take good clients, but, um, you know. Like, or like the first no they've ever heard and it's a little awkward oh, I can imagine you know music in ge- music industry um you know the music industry is a perpetually frustrating place um in terms of how the business works and a few years ago there was all these articles all the music business is failing and etc and now the labels are making more money than they've ever made and it's not getting passed on to the artists. Yeah. Uh, it, so it's, it's, you know, and Spotify um, is not, because 60,000 songs a day are uploaded to Spotify, they're really not on top of payouts. And they're really on top of payouts to the labels because that's, you know, they, the labels are investors in Spotify. So it's like, a, it's, it's, it's a frustrating industry to be in. Um, you know, part of the reason I started my company was to be an artist-friendly company and really work very hard for these mm. clients. Um, and I don't necessarily, you don't necessarily see that with how labels are. Um, definitely, I know great people who work at labels, but in general, it seems like since the streaming era has really blown up, there's been a, a lot of, um, you know, a frenzy to sign as many artists as they can in case a song blows up. Um, without work, doing any work to make that happen. And that's a frustrating place for artists to be in because they they get excited and they're like, oh, I'm signing to a major label that's so cool, it's my dream come true. And then they sit there and nothing happens because the labels just really wait for the song to take off on its own. Yeah, that must be pretty soul destroying for artists. Yeah. 
I could imagine getting so excited thinking you're going to be the next best thing and then just nothing. Mm -hmm. Exactly. It, it is very, I, I have a lot of artists who come to me with that story who they've been let out of the record deal and want to self-release and it just, it happens over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. I could imagine it's very lazy on the, on the record labels part as well. Right. You know, it's lazy, but I also, I, I, I actually understand it because if a song's going to blow up, a song's going to blow up and there's certain things you can do, but sometimes you really can't force something hmm. um, that's not hitting, but there are always ways you could work it to at least get something going. Um, and, you know, it, it, I, I see both sides of it. Um, you know, it's just, there's not really an A&R aspect to signing bands anymore. Like A&R still do their traditional job of setting up songwriting sessions and, and being in the studio and recording if there's an artist that they want to develop. But the in terms of who they sign, there's not really a gut instinct or a um, any sort of uh, belief in the artist. What the labels do now is they, they get reports from, um, you know, who's charting on TikTok and who's doing really well on Spotify. And they get those reports daily or weekly, I'm not sure, but then the ARs reach out to the artists and want to sign them and they start, and they, they're very good at their jobs and they say, you know, we love you, we believe in you, we think we're going to make things happen, blah, blah, blah. But it's, they don't have any belief. It's just seeing an artist is getting enough plays for them to be interested in making money off of the artist. So it's, that is like, it's a really, um, you know, I think from the outside, people always think it's so cool that I work in the music industry. And I, and I think if people knew what was going on, um, I think most people would be pretty disgusted by that situation. Yeah. Cause it's not, it's, it's gross just talking about that. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. I get you. I get you. It's a, uh... It's an interesting insight because um, I would have thought like, oh, you have the coolest job in the world dealing with artists, going to loads of gigs, but you'd never really think of the, the flip side of it, you know, when you're on the outside. Right, exactly, exactly. You, it does look cool to go to shows as your job, but then it also unfortunately kind of ruins going to shows because it's your job. So like, it's not something I do for fun. I, I, I know other people who still go to shows for fun, but for me, it's not relaxing because I'm always have my PR brain on, even if it's just a band. Like maybe if I go see like Billy Joel or something huge, um, mm. that's like a classic band, I can enjoy it. But anything smaller, it's just, um, I have to think like, why is this band popular? Or there's people to show I need to talk to, or just, um, you know, it's working. Yeah, so your not... your PR side automatically kicks in. Exactly. But on the other hand, like I do get to know about music ahead of time. I get to be the person who chooses what music's going to be popular. I yeah. love working with fans. And I think music is, um, I mean, part of the reason I care so much about what I was just talking about is, you know, I care about music so much and, and the power of music and the importance of music. Um, and I see that power and importance not being treated as such by how the music industry is. Mm. And I find that very, um, you know, disheartening um, to say the least. Uh, and I feel like music, I think if someone makes a piece of art that is um, 
that is good and, and has meaning that that is a um it's almost like a, a sacred thing to 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 put trust in someone to to take care of the art you made yeah. and uh i don't see that trust being taken care of in, in how the music industry is today you asked one question about what i think about music and I just... <laughs> <laughs> oh no i'm i'm perfectly happy happy to let you just go on and on it's uh i find it hugely interesting yeah um but you know in, but, but the flip side again is like most releases don't make money most releases fail so i can i do kind of understand the um I, I understand the idea of signing as many bands as you can and seeing which one, which one ends up having a hit song um, because 99.9% .9 of releases aren't successful no matter what you do. So, you know, it does make sense from that, um, from that aspect. Yeah, it's, uh, it seems to be hugely saturated out there because even with the podcast, I don't know how this happened or where it came from, but I actually get loads of... Uh, unsigned bands send me emails asking to appear on the show and like the majority of them now are great and i'm obviously i'm just a music fan i'd have no uh no insights into how the music industry works really but there's a few of them that you're kind of thinking this isn't for you but then there's some that you're thinking uh how have you not been discovered yet you know mm -hmm. but uh that's one thing i love about what the podcast is becoming it's a uh, it's almost a, a way for me to come across you know bands other people haven't heard of and give them a chance for people to hear them that might never have got to hear them you know mm -hmm. yeah and there's not that many um, music podcasts no actually I was surprised about that when I started mine I thought it'd be you know it'd be there'd be every second podcast would be a music podcast yeah, I don't really, there's a couple, but I, I think I don't really know more than two or three. Yeah, yeah, I'd say I could probably count the other ones on, on one hand. There's definitely podcasts that have musical guests on, but not to play. They have them on. Like I was listening to Smartless and they had Brad Paisley on, but mm -hmm. he didn't play anything. They just were talking to him. Yeah. So, you know, that's a different situation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's uh, not many, I suppose you could liken it to, to a, a radio show interview where the guest comes on and you get to hear their music as well. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So um, there was a question I thought of there a couple of minutes ago. Uh, is, has there been any artist or any missed opportunities that you'd regret in your career? Yes, uh, I last year we were talking to Jensen McRae. And we ended up not being able to work with her. And I'm, I'm, ugh, I love her so much. Um, and her, her music is so great. And I, and I, I think we would have done a really, really good job working with her. So that's a big regret for me. I mean, I can't really regret it because it was, it, again, it was out of my control. They hired someone else. Um, we did everything we could. And honestly, I think it probably just came down to the other company uh, was not as much money as we are. Um, but, uh, and that's something like, uh, yeah, we're not, we don't compromise too much on what we charge because, you know, you can't like devalue your work. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. But yeah, so Jensen, I'm sad I missed out on, um, you know, there's definitely things I missed the boat on. Um, I, there's definitely things I passed on 
that I didn't like. I remember, I think in 2012, we had a spreadsheet of artists like that we were scouting and my employee at the time put on the 1975 and my note from it is, I think this is going to be really big, but I hate it. (laughs) (laughs) And I stand by that. I mean, like, I I don't still, I I like their second to last record. um, But, uh, you know, I, up until that point, I really still hated them. Like I couldn't have worked that band. I really, really hated them. Um, But, but I also knew they were going to be big. Mm. that you could just tell just how they sounded like oh this is a sound that's going to do really well it yes. just was such an 80s rip off to me yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. We, ended up, we ended up going to a more interesting place with that uh the record that came out in like 2018 2019 uh, i like that one yeah yeah anyway yeah there's things like that there's definitely things i passed on that i knew were going to be big Mm. But I just like I would have I I would have passed on Billie Eilish. I was not a fan of hers. Really? Um, right. I just thought she was just another one of those girls that had that electro pop sound. Mm. And then uh, when her album came out, I just fell in love with her. I'm just uh, and you know her album is I think undeniably great. Like it's just so innovative and interesting um, and unlike anything I'd ever heard before. Um, yeah. Which not how she started out. Yeah. Yeah. She's um. I think she's one of them artists that they come around every so often and she changes everything. And for like five or 10 years afterwards, everything will be, you know, a reproduction of some sort of her. Yep. I've definitely gotten submissions that sounded literally exactly like her. Yeah. That must be, uh, that must be tough though. Can you, would you be able to go to these people and be like, right, you sound great. You can make something, but I need you to change your sound. Yeah. We usually, um, I don't ever ask artists to re-record or, or I just always ask for more music. Hmm. And so if there's one song that sounds like a Billie Eilish song, we'll talk to the artist and be like, we think we should promote these songs other than the Billie Eilish one. Yeah. Um, because you just really can't, you copycat, you know, people are going to say right away, this just sounds like a ripoff of Billie Eilish. Yeah. Yeah. Like a, a tribute act of some sort. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and Billy has, you know, so it, you can't help it when someone has like similar vocal tones, but Billy sings in such a specific way that like you kind of do have to be trying because it's not like Billy's singing on her record, like her full singing voice. She's singing in specific choices. So like, you know, if you're going to sing in like a sing-songy baby voice, like that's <laughs> Billy Island. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's definitely one of them voices that it is too noticeable if you if you sound like it you know you can't just say oh i just happened to to sound exactly. like her exactly exactly <laughs> yeah there's definitely like people who sound alike but not like billy <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> or like think about like amy winehouse like you know i've heard stuff that sounded like her and really like that again like is such a distinctive sound. Yeah. She has such a distinctive voice that like, you're gonna, you, you would have to be trying, I think, to sound like her. Yeah, definitely, definitely. She's definitely another one. Um, do you remember when she broke in America? How, was, uh, how did you feel about her when you heard about her first? I saw her at South By. The first time I ever heard about her, I was at South By Southwest and at the Fader Fort and my friend was going to see her. And I was like, who is this beehive eyeliner? <laughs> British like what is happening you know tattoos and she was so skinny and like we were 
you know, five, 10 feet from the stage. Mm-hmm. And then she's just, she was just incredible. Her voice was just incredible. I can't believe I saw Amy Winehouse now that I think about that. <laughs> Cause she ended up being so big. Um, yeah, exactly. And she, that was at the cusp was right when she was breaking was that show. Um, I remember James Eha from the Smashing Pumpkins was there. <laughs> and that was like the first time I saw James Eha because he had a record label that was kind of launching that. Jeez, it's, um, I'd love to be able to say that I've seen her, you know, especially since what happened to her and everything, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's one of them stories that's really sad. I'd love to see where she would have went, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, for sure. That is a really sad story. But of course, there's a, there's a plenty of musicians like her that have that similar story. You know, Kirk Bain, Jim Morrison, Jimi Hendrix. Right. Obviously, this is called the Concerts That Made Us. So I'll have to ask you a couple of concert-related questions because I'm sure you have some pretty great ones. What was uh, the first, very first concert you've ever been to? The first concert I'd ever been to was the Smashing Pumpkins. And they were playing at... The Rosemont Horizon, which uh, is a different name now in Chicago, but it was kind of a legendary big venue. And I was a freshman in high school, my first year of high school, and I got invited to go um, because this girl, uh, Sherry Ann's mom wouldn't let her go. So I got to take Sherry Ann's place. And I still talk to Sherry Ann every single day. Mm. So I got to remind her that I, I got to take her place to go see the Smashing Pumpkins. <laughs> <laughs> It was amazing. You know, it was such a big show, just such a production wise, you know, it was the Melancholy Tour. Oh, man. And so Melancholy had probably been out for a few months and Chicago's their hometown. Yeah. And the lights and the singing and I I just was overwhelmed. It was just, I was just so obsessed. And I was also, previous to that, had been obsessed with the Smashing Pumpkins and after that was obsessed with the Smashing Pumpkins. And the most, I don't really get starstruck ever, but the one time I got insanely starstruck was I was interviewing at that alternative radio station for an internship in Chicago. And I was sitting there waiting to go in and Billy Corgan walked in and I had just been looking at them in the wall. They had a, they had a, uh, you know, a gold record of Melancholy that was like, you know, thank you Q101 for helping us. And I was just looking at Melancholy and I was like, God, what a great record. I had listened to it in a while at that point. And then in walks Billy Corgan and you know, he's so recognizable. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I just really, I was 19. I just really, really lost it. Like just really like, was like actually starstruck. Like just so like couldn't move. I just couldn't, I could not have said anything if if yeah. uh, he had said anything to me and he kind of like looked at me like nodded and sat down and I just kind of stared at him <laughs> but I don't think I've ever had that feeling since I, I can't remember ever feeling like I've seen Beyonce a few times and like mm. smiled at her and like did not like there's definitely a presence with Beyonce but I did not feel like paralyzed <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> oh I'd probably uh have been very similar now if Billy Carton had walked in as opposed to Beyonce obviously she's great and everything but I don't think I'd get that starstruck. I'd probably be like, oh my God, yeah, there's Beyonce. But if Billy Corgan walked in, I'd probably, you, you know, Wayne's world, when they get down on the ground, they're like, we're not worthy. Yes. <laughs> It'd be probably something like that. Exactly, exactly. 
I will say I did see him a couple years ago at a club here in Los Angeles and he was sitting at a table and I didn't have the same reaction. <laughs> right. <laughs> the, uh, the moment that's 20 years later. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, um, what was the last concert you were at? So long ago. I'm trying to remember. Um, definitely. Um, one of the last concerts, if not, if not the last concert, was a, a girl named Skull Crusher, who's signed now. I believe she's signed to Secretly Canadian. If it's not Secretly Canadian, it's like Dead Oceans, but it's one of those. Mm. And uh, yeah, she, uh, Skull Crusher is from here in LA, and she's just this tiny little girl. I mean, probably 20 years old, and she just is so cool and makes such like kind of like cool singer songwriter music maybe like i would say like she would probably share, share a stage with like phoebe bridgers like in that mm-hmm. vein but maybe yeah. a little more like rock but not as rock as her name suggests it's just kind of yeah. a funny name for her yeah. um but that i was I, I think i saw her two or three times like her first few shows because my friend is her lawyer and he brought me and i just was really really into skull culture <laughs> when you said the name first actually i was expecting some sort of swedish death metal band or something right exactly i think that's why like she, it's such a funny name for her because it sounds like a death metal band and it's not yeah yeah it's uh i'll def she sounds like one i'll definitely have to have to look up afterwards she sounds like something i'd be into mm-hmm. but uh has the pandemic affected your business much or what way has it affected Definitely, we have, um, we don't have as many clients as we normally would. Mm. Um, 2020 was supposed to be a big year for releases for us. And most releases got pushed way back, you know, to 2021. And now, now that we're in 2021, releases are still getting pushed back because people want to tour around them. Um, That's probably the biggest, just like releases just getting pushed back to another time. And then also, um, normally danger village has at least one breakout an artist a year one to two and we didn't i don't think we really had any breakout artists last year but again that's just like with everything that was going on um it was music was not really on the forefront of people's minds in 2020 um you know phoebe bridgers had a big year and that as far as I can really tell, I mean, I think that's about it. Like as far as like breakout artists and Phoebe's been around a while. I mean, she was on her second album and I had been a fan, you know, it just seemed like she kind of started rising to the forefront more so than she was. And I mean, Megan Thee Stallion had a big year, but you know, Megan Thee Stallion was, Hot Girl Summer was the previous year. So, you know, it's just, there weren't really new acts breaking through last year. Yeah, yeah. It's a... I suppose, though, with everything that went along with it, it could be it could be forgiven for having a, you know, not having one that broke through or having a kind of a, a worse year than others. Yeah, I had to tell myself that. I was like, oh, it's not just it's not me. It's that no one is breaking through this year. I mean, it was just I mean, there was just weeks where we couldn't even really do any promotion, you know, mm. um, during the Black Lives Matter stuff. Like it was just it was completely inappropriate to be sending anyone emails about some band, you know, like we had. Um, just with everything going on here and around the world it was um, you know 
people weren't writing about music. And then really, really what changed too is how much harder it is to get press now for just like straight white artists. <laughs> right. That's really changed. And that's great because we actually, press wise, we ended up doing really well last year because we've always kind of worked with a lot of queer people and a lot of people of color mm. uh, and, and a lot of women. So our roster kind of was already set up and our, I always gravitate towards artists who have something to say. Um, not to bring up the cranberries again, but I just was reading about them. I forgot why I was reading about them recently, but I kind of did a little bit of a deep dive into them and, and Dolores really had a lot to say. Like they were really a band with a message and, and that's kind of, and you know, they were one of my favorite bands growing up. And, uh, I think I always really gravitate towards music with a message and I don't know what happened to that because when I was I felt I feel like growing up on music in the 90s like cranberries like she had so much she wanted to get out there about so many things and then the beastie boys were always like you know they had the tibetan freedom concerts they were so mm. outspoken about things in the world and rage against the machine had so much to say and now I'm like where what is like outside of rap or, hit or urban music or hip hop, you know, like now our artists that have something to say are mostly, you know, like, like, yeah, like hip hop artists, but hip hop's always been about that too. So I don't yeah. know why, I don't know when, when music got so corporate that like no one's allowed to say anything. Like Taylor, watching the Taylor Swift documentary, there's a moment where, you know, you see like, she wants to speak up about something that's going on with an election and her dad's like, no, no one wants to hear what artists have to say. And like Taylor Swift has a massive audience. Like she should be saying stuff. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's, um, you're right though. You know, as you mentioned in the, in the nineties, it seemed like bands and musicians, they really wanted to make a difference and wanted to make a change. And you could feel through even their lyrics and their performances that they cared so much about what, what mattered to them. And, you really don't see it anymore. Like most music on the radio now just sounds like mindless pop, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like mindless pop was always an element to music, but mm. it just, I really, I, I, I agree with what you're saying. Like I, when I was in college, we had Jello Biafra play our, um, you know, our concert promotion committee. And he always had so much, you know, that's his thing was talking about, you know, current issues and like ways we need to change and be better. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, that is one thing again with Billy, Billy's really outspoken about a lot of stuff. Like she, she performed for the democratic national convention. She got really involved in voting. She's really involved with veganism and say, trying to save the planet and her, her yeah. video all the, for all the good girls go to hell is just about, I mean, the song is, is, is also, it's about climate change. Hmm. So she's someone who is really, but she's so young and the kids like her age, like teenagers now are so concerned about it because they don't, they're, they're looking forward and don't see a future. So like, you know, it is, it's kind of, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's disappointing how corporate um, and whitewashed and, and uh, pop music is these days. Yeah. Yes. It really is. But uh, hopefully I always feel like in music, it's like a, a circle, you know, things, that are popular now won't be uh popular in a few years time and you know like this things repeat themselves it's like a big circle the 70s come back again the 80s you know so hopefully in a, a couple of years time 
there be more music that has a message and more artists will seem like they you know they're passionate about what they what they're saying right yeah for sure yeah and I hopefully journalism covers it because it's like and you know Beyonce has things to say about like <laughs> you know police brutality mm. but I don't think that stuff gets covered as much as like you know tabloid-esque stories about pop so yeah. there's, there's other elements too. Yeah, yeah. Is there um is there any glimmer of hope at the end of the tunnel for uh for music over there this year, or is it all next year that you're looking at? No, I think we're gonna start. I mean, LA is gonna start opening venues in April to limited mm-hmm. capacity. Um, we surprisingly, America has been really good with the vaccine, getting people vaccinated. Mm. Um, we're ahead of like where Joe Biden wanted to be at this point. Like we've had more than a hundred million doses given out. Most yeah. people, I, I got my first dose of the vaccine a couple of weeks ago. And since I got it, I found out like so many other people have gotten it, but everyone's kind of like being quiet about it because like there's a lot of like vaccine shaming going on. Like if people are like, jumping the line or whatever, yeah. but we're, we're like all going to have it by May. Like by end of May, if anyone wants to get vaccinated they can be vaccinated and hopefully most people do um but um we should be able to have shows again and you know i think especially there's going to be outdoor concerts it's just i think it's real hard for anyone to plan anything because of you know remember last year like people were like okay we're pushing this back a month (laughs) you know remember Coachella got pushed back like and then got pushed back and then got pushed back like yeah it's, it's hard for anyone to plan anything because um you know we don't know what's going to happen. The the new strains of coronavirus could could come, and you know everything gets shut down again. So. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It could easily happen. Hopefully, it doesn't. There's um, there's absolutely nothing happening over here with music yet. Anyway, I'd say it'll be 2022 before we even hear news of a concert or anything like that. Mm. Unfortunately, mm. but um, so uh, I have to ask you before I let you go, if you were to quarantine with one artist that mm. you've worked with or haven't worked with, uh, who would it be? Let me do someone I have worked with because I actually know them. Um, I'll say Mo. I, I love her. Uh, okay. she was, she's such a cool... I haven't worked with her in a few years now, but she was just a really lovely person to hang out with. Like, we... I, I was on tour with her in several different cities, you know, in Paris and whatnot and, um, mm. and visit her in Copenhagen. And like, it's just so, she's just a really bright shining soul and easygoing and um, fun. Like her team was very, very fun. I think the Danes, Danish people are, they like to laugh, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> jokes. So I loved them. So I would quarantine with her. Oh, cool. Cool. And uh, if you could, uh, if you could see any any performer that's living or dead or that you've worked with in concert again, who would it be? Um, can I do one living and one dead? You can, <laughs> no. you can. Actually, they, they kind of are related. I, I really wish I'd gotten to see Elliot Smith uh, before he died. Hmm. And uh, there's so many Elliot Smith. I'm on the east side of LA and he lived here. And, um, and then the living performer I, I can't wait to see is I've never seen Phoebe Bridgers perform. And uh, I'm 
so so obsessed with her and she's also she's a lot of her songs are Elliot Smith inspired so they kind of go go together but uh I just she is I, I can't explain how obsessed I am with her like I I haven't been this obsessed with an artist since I was like obsessed with Weezer when I was 19 like so like 20 years like I just I think she's I mean I think she's incredible I really do yeah. I think she's like the Bob Dylan of our generation oh so that's a big call <laughs> I really think it though I've thought that for years but more and more I'm like wow she just is her lyrics are um you know I think there's better maybe better songwriters although I think she's a great songwriter like I think Taylor Swift's a better songwriter than mm. than Phoebe but oh, yeah. I think Phoebe's lyrics are just pure poetry I mean she's up there for me with Jeff Tweedy but oh. actually I think she might be better than Jeff Tweedy it's <laughs> <laughs> easy to say because <laughs> I think I think Jeff Tweedy's just pure poetry, but I think Phoebe is just her use of words is so good and so evocative. Um, you could she she says something and, and just gives you an image. It's so cool. Yeah, yeah, I love when when there's an artist like that or an artist comes along like that. It's uh, it's a special moment. For sure, for sure, yeah. And uh, one final question that I usually ask guests they usually say it's the hardest question of the lot what would appear on the soundtrack to your life one song one song mm -hmm. i think zebra by beach house i think that's actually the quickest anyone has answered that question <laughs> <laughs> i just that's it i don't i i don't know why i know that i used to when i moved to la i used to drive up and down the coast and listen to beat to beach house over and oh, over wow. again and that that's off of teen dream i think but it's so it's not my favorite album but my favorite album by them is bloom mm. but zebra is my favorite song by them it's just i just love that song and i think that's just i when i think of a movie of my life that's the song that comes to mind oh good i see why you're so quick to answer then yeah i already had i i didn't know you were going to ask that but i uh I just, yeah, I really, I guess I, I guess I had that up. <laughs> it's obviously something you've thought of before. <laughs> mm -hmm. So um, is there any artists that our listeners should look out for in the near future from your company? Yeah, so we um, are working on an artist. So Miro's project came out on March 25th and he is an artist that's going to blow up. We already um, are seeing just such support for him <clears throat> across the board with just one song we've put out from him and uh, it's Mero, M-E-H-R-O. And uh, he's like a, he's very young and he's so talented. He's so, he's such a beautiful vocalist. And again, with his, his lyrics have such imagery in them. And he is a sweet guy, like a real genuine, nice guy. Um, but Bob Boylan at NPR called him, um, said he reminded him of Jeff, Jeff Buckley. Oh, so, uh, <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I get why you said that. I don't think he sounds like Jeff Buckley, but I, I think in that terms of like a handsome young singer songwriter. Right, right, I get you, I get you. Yeah. Oh, we'll, uh, we'll have to keep an eye out for him, so. So uh, thanks a million for coming on. I've really, really enjoyed it. It was, uh, I was looking forward to this episode. Thank you for having me.
Hey, before you go, I just wanted to say thanks for listening and I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, rate and review us on iTunes. It really helps the show grow. And also find us and follow us on social media. Just search for Concerts That Made Us. We're back next week with another great episode. It's a band called Fears of Abandonment. Until then, keep rockin'. Hey, hey, what are you guys still doing here? The show is over. It's over. You can go home. Go on. We'll see you next time. We'll be here.